0: Welcome. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand with us? Let's sing.
1: I stand all over the ground, it's sinking, sand so stomp you feet and clap your hands, I feed her on the rock. Oh my god, the rock. I stand all over the ground, it's sinking, stand so stomp you feet and clap your hands.
2: What's up, Kavanaugh? How's everyone doing? Good. Glad you're here. You know, I I love that song. Fears and insecurities and tough times are going to happen, but knowing where your feet are planted makes all the difference. Amen? Amen. And I'm so thankful for Jesus and what he has done for us and the joy he brings in all of those times, in the good and in the bad. And I'm really thankful that my feet are firmly planted right here in Kavanaugh Church this Sunday morning. I'm glad yours are too. So it's great to see you guys, and uh, again, been praying for you this week that God really does something incredible here in this place as the Word is preached um, and as we uh, experience it, and our lives are changed. Amen. Amen. So I hope everyone had a good weekend, despite what your college team did. All right, um, uh, had an awesome family time and just a relaxing weekend. But it's great to be back in this place. So let's let's go to a little prayer right now and ask for His blessing on our services. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you so much for bringing us all back together, God. I know uh, our weeks all are, are very different from one another's, God, but you are the same God with the same promises. Uh, holding our same future, God, and being able to come back and celebrating what you have done and the love that you have for us is just incredibly important for us here, to be here today. So, God, I can I, I pray that you continue to just move and work in this service as the message is preached, God. Give Brother Will um, the words to say um, and open our hearts and help us to be the people that you want us to be, God. and uh, Bless our worship team and all the other ministries that are going on at Cavanaugh Church from our kids and, and infants all the way up to us here. Um, We just know that your blessing is in this place and we're so thankful for what we have here. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue to praise.
1: what you want to, do what you want to, God we love to see.
0: men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men for he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness you know it just makes sense that when uh, someone is merciful and good and kind to us and provides for you the natural instinct is to thank that person right to be thankful and We God deserves our thankfulness this morning, right? For all that he does for us. I mean, when you think of his his providence, just on a daily basis, how how he directs us, our coming in and our going out and all that we do in a day's time and uh, for directing our path and putting us, uh, setting our feet on a a path that's straight, um, that he takes care of our needs Uh, Not only does he meet our our physical needs, but the scripture even tells us that he, he grants us the desires of our heart. I mean, God is just, he is so good. But in that verse, the last part of it says that he satisfies the longing soul. And all of us, all of us that are alive and breathing, we have a soul. And God created us with this longing, this yearning for something more than we can find in this world and that is God and that is his goodness and he he fills us and he satisfies us so this morning if you're searching and there's just something missing it is God it is God and this morning let's just be thankful to him for his goodness holiness, you are just, you are majestic there is no one like our God we praise you in this house this morning you alone are worthy you are worthy God I thank you for your goodness for your hand on my life for your hand on our lives Lord help us leave this place grateful people telling others let the redeemed say so let us praise your name God We give you all the glory in your name I pray, amen.
3: worship team, don't you? Uh, They lead us in great worship. Give them a big hand. We appreciate them and what they're doing every week. It's awesome. Uh, Still preaching in Joshua. Just a couple more weeks in Joshua. Uh, Today we're looking at Joshua chapter 9. The the title of this Sunday sermon is Scam Alert. Scam Alert. We're on Scam Alert. Did you know that? Uh, This past week I inherited some uh, oceanfront property in Arizona. And from my front porch, you can see the sea. And I'm convinced that somebody in this room needs to buy that property for me before we leave today. What does that sound like to you? Yeah. Sounds like a scam, doesn't it? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't answer me verbally. But how many of you have been scammed before? It's not fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. There you go. Doesn't it, it puts a pit in your stomach. It makes you sick when you realize that person just got me. You there? You with me? Every single day I receive at least eight, sometimes as many as 20, 25, text messages, emails, phone calls, hard mail in the mailbox, people knocking on my door, trying to scam me, and yeah, they still come door to door. Gary, when they do, I listen to their spiel and then I say, I am so sorry that I can't buy that from you today, but if you will go across the street and down three houses, I know there's a guy down there who would love to hear what you have to say. Because my honest conviction is every salesman needs to experience my dad. In the United States, 1 in 10 adults will fall victim to a scam or a fraud every single year. And according to the Federal Trade Commission, this number has jumped 34% just during the last two years. Most of those are online, but we've all experienced it in one way or another. Joshua chapter 9 tells the story of the Gibeonites, who were some of the first, if not the best, con men, because they conned all of Israel. This really is a story of something good that comes out of something bad. So that's my subtitle today. Something good that comes out of something bad. And let me tell you, it was a bad situation, but something good did come out of something that was bad. Let's start this story in Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. That is, if you want to enter into this story with me. Are you ready to come along? Let's journey together into the Word. Here's what i prayed every day this week. Lord, I wasn't there in Joshua chapter 9 when the Gibeonites snookered the children of Israel. But you were. You were there. So Sunday, when we talk about this... Would you speak this truth through me to the people? I wasn't there, but God was. So let's hear God's account of it. Joshua 9, 1 and 2. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, that is, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, The Perizzites the Hivites and the Jebusites they came together to wage war against Joshua and all of Israel when verse 1 says these things it's really talking about all the things that we have been discussing over the past several weeks all of the mighty miracles that God had done starting with the crossing of the Jordan River. Remember, it was during flood stage. You couldn't cross it, but God provided a miracle where the children of Israel just walked across on dry land. Then secondly, the the destruction of Jericho when those mighty fortified walls came tumbling down and Joshua and his people defeated that fortified Canaanite city. And then just last week, we talked about the... the, uh, the story of Ai and how God delivered the children of Israel over the city of Ai and totally destroyed it. All of these kings of the Canaanite cities in that area heard all of these things and, and, and it was sticking in their minds and they were beginning to, to get worried about it, especially this last event that occurred. When, Jer- when Ai was destroyed and-, and Joshua went up and conquered that city, not only did he burn Ai, he took the king of Ai and impelled him on a spear right in front of the town gates. And at sundown, he came back and took the body down and then piled rocks on the top of it. It, it was as if Joshua was raising a black flag in the land of Canaan, saying, Take no prisoners. This war is on. And these kings took notice, and they were terrified. They knew that none of them singularly could stand against the children of Israel. But collectively, if they came together, even though they didn't like each other, if they came together, maybe they would have a chance. And so they did. They put their differences aside to stand against Joshua and the people of Israel. That is most of the Canaanites. Some of them did something else. The people of Gibeon decided to try to make peace with the Israelites. We we read about that in verses three and four of Joshua chapter nine. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively. And we're gonna talk about exactly what they did here in a moment. Now, it's really not hard for us to feel sympathy towards these Gibeonites. When they heard how Jericho and Ai fell to the Jews, they knew that they did not have a chance. They may have been pagans, but they knew enough to understand there was a force behind the Israelites. It was the God of the heavens, the Almighty God. And and so it was a straightforward calculation the Jews were planning to sweep through the land. When they got to Gibeon, they knew that they would be killed and their city would be burned. So let's just do what we can. Let's try to make peace with them. Now they knew about, enough about Joshua and the children of Israel to know that Joshua on his own would not make a deal with them. Why in the world would he? I mean, after Jericho and Ai, the Jews were on a big roll. They they were steamrolling everybody. They weren't afraid of anything or anyone. There was no way the Jews would willingly enter into a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. They're sworn enemies. So what in the world do you do if you're a Gibeonite? Well, the Gibeonites came up with a brilliant two-part plan. Disguise and flattery. It works almost every time. Right? First of all, they pretended to come from some distant land. Verses 4 through 6 tells us the story of what they did. They wore tattered clothes down to the thread. They, they packed on their donkeys all of this stuff that was old, like old wineskins that were cracking. They, they packed Molden crusty bread in their backpacks. They looked like they had been on a journey for weeks when they had only traveled really three days. And when they met up with the children of Israel at Gilgal, the Jews questioned them, where have you come from? And they said, oh, we've come from this distant land. At first they had their doubts, but you know what? In the end, Joshua and the Israelites believed that they had really been on this long journey when in reality they were only three days away. The second thing they did was resort to flattery. Really the Gibeonites poured it on thick with talk of how their God had delivered the Jews from Egypt and how they had given them victory over the kings uh, east of the Jordan. That was clever because it was not only true, it, it, it also appealed to Jewish pride. And so they just kind of soaked it in. This description and this deception should not have worked, but it did. Both Joshua and the leaders were skeptical at first, but then the Gibeonites snookered them because they were not expecting a trick. You, you know, it, I'm, I'm really shook at, at how easy it was for these Israelites to be tricked. That ought to be a lesson for all of us. We are told in the New Testament that Satan, our arch enemy, disguises himself as an angel of light and he comes to us as a friend. But in the end it turns out he is no friend at all. He is just a hissing serpent. He is the liar. You see the devil not only speaks lies, he is the origin of lies he is the original liar and everything that comes out of his mouth is tainted with deception so now no matter what he whispers to you no matter what he says to you it's tainted with deception it is a lie Satan is not your friend and you don't need to be listening to him we all know that don't we But my goodness, sometimes we're just conned by the devil. Sometimes we're still snookered by the evil one. So now the Jews got this major decision. They suspect something is up, but they really can't prove it. So so what do they do? Well, the Bible tells us what they did. They sampled some of the provisions that these Gibeonites had packed. That is, they took that crusty molden bread and they checked it out they they sampled some of it that said they responded by saying well you know what this, this seems to be legitimate everything seems to be above board they certainly look like they've been traveling a long time their their wine skins are cracked their bread is moldy let's make a deal so they made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites thinking everything was above board and everything was good. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 tells us, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by a what? By an oath. To make an oath meant that they promised before God. They really made a commitment to God that they would not harm these Gibeonites. That was serious business. Listen to me, folks. That that was then, but it's still this way today. You can't make a promise in God's name and then break it. God takes our promises seriously, even when we don't. That's why the Bible reminds us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, that it is better not to swear an oath than to swear an oath and then break the oath. You know why? A deal's a deal. Don't make promises and then break them later. Don't swear an oath if you intend on breaking that oath. Don't say, you know what, it really doesn't matter because it does matter. God expects his people to be truthful. That applies to us. You speak it, you keep it. If you make an oath, you keep your oath. So now the deal's done. They've ratified the oath, not only Joshua, but the leaders. The Gibeonites are safe. Joshua and the leaders, they only made one mistake. (laughs) But it was a colossal mistake. We read about it in verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. You know what that is? That that is an indictment on the leaders of Israel. And remember, all of this happened to Joshua, the God-ordained, God-appointed leader. And it happened after the miracle of the Jordan River. It happened after the miracle of the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. It happened after the defeat of Ai. All of these miracles of deliverance, and even after Achan's deceit, Joshua still forgot to pray about it. Now, no doubt Joshua is a great man. Are you with me? He's been faithful to God since he was a young man. He is an awesome leader, a great man of God, a great warrior. But here's the problem with Joshua this day: he trusted the gut feeling he had instead of praying to God about it. And guys, that's where we get into trouble. Because look at me, everybody, look at me. If that happened to Joshua, dude, let me say it can happen to you. It can happen to me. Let's be clear about this. We will never get to the place where we don't need God's direction and God's help. The moment we think, oh, I've got this one, I can handle it on my own, is the moment we're in serious trouble and the moment we start sinking fast. Just as a parenthesis here, let me just encourage the congregation with this. You need to pray about everything. I don't care how minute the situation may be the decision in your opinion may be a small decision but you know what you still need to pray about it you know if they're big decisions and you know you need to be praying about those big decisions. I'm telling you you need to pray about everything because any decision that you make in your life is going to have ramifications on other aspects of your life any decision you make for your family is going to affect other parts of your family life I say this to the staff all the time. They know it to be true. Somebody comes in with a great ideal for their ministry. Let's say it's Brother Nathan. Oh, he's got a great idea for the teenagers, and, and it really is a good idea. But instead of telling Nathan in that staff meeting, Nathan, go for it, buddy. You do it. I usually say something like this. Well, you know what? We're going to have to pray about that for a little season because I understand that whatever we do in one ministry is going to affect the other ministries of the church. Okay, It's just the way it happens. And it may sound like a great idea, and it may be a great idea, but you know what we need to do first? We need to ask the boss. We need to talk to God about it. Now, I will quickly say this. After you've prayed about it and sought the Lord's advice, you need to act, you need to to do something, whether it's go or no go, but the first thing you need to do is pray about it. Joshua didn't do that. Everything went okay for three days, and then word got out about the deception. It's really not clear how they found out. It it may have been the Gibeonites who spilled the beans, who knows? But it's hard to keep a secret like that. And so after three days, the Israelites realized the truth. You know what? These guys are not from a far country at all. They're our neighbors right now. They're only a three-day walk from where we're camped. So what in the world would they do? You know what they did? Let's read about it. Verse 18. The whole assembly grumbled. It's reassuring to me that some some things never change. (laughs) The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath that we swore to them. They continued, We'll let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the entire assembly. So the leaders' promise to them was kept. The leaders couldn't go back on their word. you know why? They had made an oath before God that they would not harm the Gibeonites. So they spared the Gibeonites and all of their cities. But they decided that these Gibeonites would become their servants. They would would cut wood for them, and they would carry water for them. Joshua turned to the Gibeonites and said, Hey, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spare your lives, spare your cities, but you're going to be our servants. However, I would like to know, why did you do this? Why did you deceive us? Why did you lie to us? Why didn't you tell us the truth? And here's their response in verses 24 and 25. Well, we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands, so do to us whatever seems good and right to you. You really got to give the Gibeonites credit here. They made no excuses. They lied to save their own lives. And let me just say this, which does not justify the lie. But all of this led them to find mercy and not destruction. In fact, the final verses gives us a a glimpse to the grace of God. Let me read how this story ends in verses 26 and 27. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they didn't kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are even to this day when this passage was written. So you gotta stop and ask the question, who got the better end of this deal? Well, on one hand, the Israelites got a perpetual generation of free labor. So that was a win for them. On the other hand, the Gibeonites saved their own bacon. They saved their own lives, so that was a win for them. But notice how all of this ended up. They ended up at the altar of the Lord, at the place the Lord would choose. That's where they served, at the altar of the Lord. Isn't that just like God? to take something bad and turn it into something good? Because let me ask you, what happens at the altar? Well, it's at the altar where people worship God. It was there at the altar that the priest would take the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, and sacrifice them to God. It was there at the altar that the blood of the animals would atone for the sins of the people. And who in the world was serving at the altar? It was these pagan Gibeonites. They got a front row seat to the grace and mercy of God. They could see with both eyes the mercy of Almighty God, the redemption of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of their sins. Wow. So David, that's pretty much my sermon. Now, here, this sermon is different than most of my sermons because usually I have some points to them, don't I? Two, three, five, ten, twenty points. Today, no points. You might say this is a pointless message. It's a con. It's a con. Thank you, buddy. But right now, I've just got to stop and, and, and ask myself why is this story in the Bible? What do we glean from? What do we learn from this? What's this story all about? Somebody may raise their hand and say, well, it's about the dangers of deception. Don't deceive people. Don't be dishonest with people. And understand that the devil is a liar and he's trying to deceive you. Yes, I would agree. That's a lesson here. Maybe number two, it's, it's the folly of not calling on the Lord. I mean, if, if if Joshua would have just stopped and prayed about this, he would have gotten a word from God, and God would have said, these guys are con men. Don't, don't listen to them. Could be the importance of keeping your oaths. If you make a promise to God, buddy, you better keep that promise. You know, the answer is, This story is about all of those things. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. There's a bigger picture here. God is doing some amazing things in this passage that go even to this day. There is a part of grafting in that God begins here that we see even in the New Testament. If we just go from this point, Joshua 9, and look forward... Let me just go to the next chapter, chapter 10 of Joshua. Joshua and the Israelites went to war against all of these kings that we just read about in this passage. And the reason they went to war with them is to protect the city of Gibeon. These kings heard the peace treaty that the Gibeons made with, with Joshua and the Israelites. And so before they go to war against Israel, they turn on Gibeon and go to war against Gibeon. And so now you have God's people protecting a group of Canaanites against another group of Canaanites. Why? Because they had made an oath to the Gibeonites, we'll protect you. And they're keeping their word. If you read on in Joshua chapter 10, it's this incredible story about a battle where the sun stood still and allowed Joshua to have one of his greatest victories. In Joshua chapter 21, Gibeon, the city of Gibeon, is named as one of the Levitical cities. And you might say, well, that's no big deal. Oh, yeah, it was a big deal. It meant that in Gibeon, the priest would live. The priest would live there. They would teach there. They would minister there. They would work there. So once again, the the people of Gibeon had an eyewitness account to the grace of God and the work of the ministry of the Lord. You fast forward years from there, and you read about David's mighty men listed in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I just read this passage this past week in my devotions, and and it, it always inspires me to read of David's mighty men. He had men surrounding him that were great warriors. They were valiant men. They were men of integrity. They were men who could do incredible feats. There were 30 of them. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it lists Ishmael, a Gibeonite, a mighty warrior among the 30 who was a leader of the 30. You know what that means? That means that in David's inner circle, he had this one guy who was a leader of all of his other leaders, one of the leaders of the leaders, and this guy was a Gibeonite. Isn't that something? A few years later, David's son Solomon went to Gibeon, to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And while he was there, he had an encounter with God himself. And God said to Solomon, Solomon, you can ask me anything that you want. You can make one request and I will grant it. You know what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. And it was at Gibeon that God granted him wisdom. Years later, when the Jews returned from the Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah records Specifically, 95 Gibeonites who were among them. And then when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, 1,000 years after Joshua chapter 9, men from Gibeon helped with the construction of the walls. What do we make of all this? Well, the first thing I make of it was that the Israelites kept their promise. They kept their oath. The second thing I get from it is that the Gibeonites were fully integrated into the life of the Israelites. Some of them even serving in high positions. And the third thing that I glean from it is that these Gibeonites came to understand who God was. They trusted God. Here's the bottom line. Some outsiders became insiders. Those who were destined for death were given life that's the big picture literally god grafted them in to the family of faith this got my juices going this past week i don't know, it's kind of hard to tell if your juices are going right now or not maybe you need another cup of coffee i don't isn't this exciting though and so I got to thinking, what, what else do I glean from this? And, and I couldn't help but go back to Joshua chapter 2. Re- remember what happens in Joshua chapter 2? It's a story of Rahab. And I began comparing and contrasting Rahab with these Gibeonites. Rahab was a prostitute. These Gibeonites were con men. Rahab lied to the king of Jericho. These Gibeonites lied to Joshua and all the people. Both Rahab and the Gibeonites did what they had to do to save themselves and their families from destruction. Rahab believed the God of the Jews was the one true living God. And the Gibeonites, I guess felt the same way. This is what they said in Joshua 9:24, "Your servants were clearly told how the Lord, your God, had commanded his servant Moses. So here's what we have in both cases. These pagan Gentiles had heard enough about Almighty God that they decided to change sides. Rahab left her own people to join the people of God, and the Gibeonites did the same thing. You know what they did? They both joined the winning side. And that got me to thinking again, and I came to the conclusion, we are the Gibeonites. We're like Rahab, we're like the Gibeonites. That means that you and I come in with the prostitutes and the liars. I know you don't like to think of yourself that way, because here's what we normally do. We... We see ourselves here, and then we see those prostitutes and liars down here, don't we? But we're all down here. And it's easy for us to look down our noses at people that we regard as terrible sinners. And and let me put it this way, because I need to remind myself of this truth all the time. God saves people that I probably wouldn't save if I were God. And don't look at me like that because you would be the same way. One reason I'm glad God is God and we aren't, amen? My grace has definite limits to it and so does yours. But his grace does not. He will save the most notorious sinner who turns to him. And that even includes self-righteous church people like you and me. I like what Philip Yancey says about this. He says, if we say there is grace even for, even for people like the Gibeonites, even for people like Rahab, we have unconsciously put ourselves in a different category, putting ourselves before and above other sinners. But the truth is, God's grace is for people like me, Will Harmon, and people like you, I think sometimes we f- we forget what Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen. First of all, in chapter twelve, he talks about who we were before Jesus Christ. Here's what it says: You were separate from Christ. And, and listen, when I read this, don't think about your neighbor. You think about you because that's who he's speaking to. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope, and you were without God in this present world. And that is the condition of all mankind. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's us. Right on the level with the prostitute and the liars without hope, without God. That's who we were. But thank God for verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That is absolutely awesome, and I thank God for it. There was a time when we, like Rahab and the Gibeonites, were without hope, We were without God in this world. But thank God for those first two words of verse 13. But now. You were, but now you are. And that is the difference that grace makes. It's the blood of Jesus that makes all the difference. You were, but praise God, you've been grafted in. God has forgiven you of your sins, and you're one of the family. I think there's a lesson in Joshua chapter 9 if we'll just pay attention. Yeah, there's all these other lessons to learn, but the big lesson is this. Our God has the ability to take something bad and turn it into something good. I'm living proof of that. No, I'm not perfect. I have my days. Last few days, I feel like I've been down in the bar ditch. You ever get there? Anybody know what a bar ditch is? Down on the side of the road, kind of in a ditch. Just, man, sometimes you just get so overwhelmed with stuff and with life that that you just can't feel like you can do anything. You ever been there? I've spent the last couple of days there, but you know what? I know those days won't last. I know the devil may oppress me and try to drag me down, but my victory is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to pull me up out of the bar ditch after I learn the lesson that I'm in there for. And you know what? My feet are going to be on the rock, the solid rock. And yes, there may be bad things in your life right now. You may be bad. But God can turn you into something that's good. He can graft you into the family of faith. He can forgive you and change you and give you hope for eternity. He can graft you into his family. And all you have to do is believe, trust, and follow him. Some of you need to do that this morning. Some of you need to come to Jesus And give him your life. And I'm going to ask that you respond and do that right now. Heavenly Father, would you please, please minister your grace and mercy in this place. Help us to learn the real lesson of Joshua chapter 9. That you can take something bad and turn it into something good. That you can change our lives just like you changed the life of the Gibeonites. They were headed for destruction and death, but you gave them life and grafted them into the family of faith. Lord, you can do that for us today. And I pray that those who need to be saved would come and receive your redemption. Lord, those of us who are just kind of in the ditch this morning, maybe, maybe a little down, maybe a little depressed, maybe discouraged at things in life, may we come and allow you to put our feet on the rock. Dear Jesus, there, there are people each one of us have in our life that are without faith they're without hope in this present world because they don't have Jesus in their life Lord may we come today and intercede for them and pray for them so that they can have faith and receive grace in their time of need I love you Lord have your way in this service move amongst us challenge our lives for those who need to come and pray make it easy for us to stand up step out and come in Jesus name we pray you stand as the praise team sings. Come and pray. Come on.
0: Oh, your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head
1: I will sing
3: That blood I pray that they would do it today help us dear Lord to love you and live for you honor you and obey you and Lord when we give our word I pray that we would keep the oath that we've made that we would be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord for those who came to the altar to pray I, I ask your Lord that you would just meet their needs for, for those watching online and those who are there in their pew who just have a hunger for you I pray that they would be satisfied with the good things of god today we love you lord thanks for being with us today thank you for your word which is true and faithful help us dear lord to live our lives for you in jesus name we pray amen amen god bless you you can be seated Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for listening. At least you look like you're paying attention. And I appreciate that. God bless you. Go home, reread Joshua chapter 9, and get into Joshua chapter 10. And it it is some amazing things that are happening in God's word. Uh, When you leave today, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes at each of our exits, or you can give online. Certainly, again, I appreciate your faithfulness in giving. If you've made a commitment to uh, our, our building fund, Thank you for that commitment, and thank you for continuing to give. I am not making an oath this morning. Okay? I'm not swearing an oath, but I really feel good in saying that by the end of the month, we may be in our new building. All right? What do you think about that? Huh? I'm excited about it. So, you know, we'll just, we'll just see what happens. Uh, announcements will be coming. Tonight, uh, log on to our Facebook page. You can hear Brother Johnny give a Bible lesson, and then come on Wednesday night. We have uh, things going on for all age groups. Come back next Sunday. We're going to do it again, all right? And bring somebody with you. Hope you have a good week. Uh, Be safe, and please stay out of trouble. (laughs) You're dismissed.